Craggy Rugby Podcast, another special. We've had two now during the uh, little break in play, but this one is an important one as well. Obviously, news breaking today as we record this that France have been awarded the World Cup for 2023. Lots of disappointment. It's a topic that we've discussed on the podcast over the last few seasons on many occasions in terms of our hopes of seeing the World Cup coming to Ireland and the potential impact that might have on World Rugby. So we just felt it might be time to have a little bit of a chat on this. We didn't get a chance to talk about it in the podcast at the end of last week. If I haven't mentioned it already, I'm Rob Murphy and uh, joining me on the line, Alan Deegan, welcome along. Hi Rob. Good to have you Alan. Alan is not in great shape right now Alan, you're suffering a bit of pain, is that right? Yeah, I've got a, I've got an abscess on my tooth so painkillers are only just <laughs> kicking in. So you can notice the tone there, that isn't necessarily just Alan depressed about not getting the rugby World Cup, well it might be but I think the pain might be a factor there as well. William Davis, are you going to perk up for us a little bit over there on the other side of the line? No, I had two injections into my kneecaps today. <laughs> so, frankly, I'm frankly I'm in Alan's camp, but that's even before we start talking about the World Cup. I clattered into a guy playing soccer on the AstroTurf last week. I can't sleep right with my cr- cracked ribs. So, uh, but you don't hear me moaning. So then again, maybe maybe it was my own fault. Anyway, enough of that. Playing AstroTurf soccer is not of interest to our rugby followers. What is of interest is the the loss of the World Cup. Maybe I'll start with you, Alan. I mean, just initial reaction, first of all. Uh, to be expected, I suppose, you know, when we, we did finish at the bottom of the pile from the technical review, although it was only 6%, so I don't know why people were getting so caught up with that. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a massive difference between them. Like, it would have been brilliant to have it here. I think we would have run a brilliant tournament, um, but money talks. Mm, money does talk. But it's not like money wasn't talking, William, from an Ireland perspective in terms of the bid that they were putting in because they weren't just going in poor mouthed saying, listen, we'll, we'll bring it to Ireland and we'll give you a great tournament, but it'll be a bargain basement. I mean, Alan talks about the 6% differential in the report. The differential in the money from the three countries wasn't that big either. Or can you correct me on that if I'm way off? Um, I don't think it was. I think what's happened today is um, quite surprising. Uh I did voice the opinion that France would get it. Um, and I think what, what you've seen is a, a bit of a mess, well, more than a bit of a mess for World Rugby. They, they came up with this technical uh, report idea. They wanted basically to make uh, a considered opinion of who they thought was, pre- was presenting the best case. And the theory then seemed to be that everybody who had a vote would then follow the lead, or as many as possible would follow the lead of the technical report. That obviously hasn't happened. South Africa won the technical bid, France won the votes. Um, If you dig down maybe into World Rugby a little bit, possibly this is the outcome that they wanted all along was France. I think our bid had a lot going for it, and we'll be talking about that in a minute. I think the least likely country that World Rugby wanted was South Africa. The problem really was that the South African bid wasn't backed by their government. They only got permission to put in a bid, uh, not quite at the last minute, but they were under a lot of pressure not to bid. Mm. I'm not sure anybody believed the figures. Anybody who watches rugby on television from South Africa knows that nobody goes, uh, which is a big problem when you've got Mm. huge stadiums and nobody's attending. So I think there was huge shock when South Africa won the recommendation. 
The next shock has been the fact that the recommendation has been overturned, which is embarrassing for World Rugby. But these people who come to make the votes, they see deals appear to have been done, which they were trying to avoid. And overall, they probably got to where they wanted to get to, but it's been a mess. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see um, the votes break down. Lee Creep has uh, some details of who voted for what, Alan, and you know that's going to exercise people. Do we need to just not take that too seriously, or do we hold grudges against Scotland for many many years to come? For example, as a fellow Celtic League slash Pro 14 slash whatever you want to say, uh, no, they, they voted on mass with France. No, I think they they all along they stated that they were going to vote for the one that. You know, had the most money. I was going to make the most money because they're they're uh, an organisation that needs money. They're they're not in as strong a financial position as Ireland are. They're getting better. It is improving, but they still you know they still look at it from that point of view. Um, I think there's a lot of. Uh, Brendan Gallagher was mentioning tonight. There's a you know so the French do an awful lot of work around the world and help Georgian rugby, Romanian rugby. The Pacific Islanders, mm. although there is a, an element of how they treat the players, but they, they do seem to do a lot of work with, with uh, Pacific Island teams. Um, they helped out Italy before they became members of the Six Nations. So like, they do an awful lot of work in the background and provide a lot mm. of money. And they also have the most money um, with the massive TV deals that they've got. And, you know, full stadiums, f- fantastic stadiums over in France, excellent infrastructure. Um, you know, you can't see them not winning a, a good World Cup. And you can see why people supported them. William, I'd say younger viewers probably don't realise. Sorry, younger listeners to this won't realise that. Like I know when I was like when I was growing up, there was an awareness that France were as a force was a relatively new idea. I mean, in terms of part of the reason probably why they help teams around the world like Italy and stuff is if you go back 60, 70 years, um, French rugby was very much on the periphery. And like maybe you can give us a bit of perspective on what I'm trying to say there. And maybe there's a there's a you know, a reluctance to kind of focus in on the fact that the French rugby story from the south of France, which it mainly comes, is a great story and they held a great World Cup in 2007 and probably helped potentially those another sold out type competition. Yeah, um, they were playing Romania in the 30s, mm. uh, 1930s, and they, they're very good uh, workers of the room, if you like, I think in diplomatic uh, parlance. It's it's interesting um, when you look at the amount of money that's now in French rugby uh, and these powerful privately owned teams. Um, that that has been the biggest change, really. I mean, it used to be very much these were uh, regional and small clubs that came uh, with a lo- very much a local background. They didn't import players from anywhere. They were all they were French clubs, French players. But slowly over time, they've become adept at bringing in players from everywhere uh, through their through their financial uh, clout. And they did run a really good World Cup in two thousand and seven. What what was interesting about that World Cup? It was the first World Cup that I can remember where there was full grounds or nearly full grounds for every game. If you go back to soccer World Cups in the 70s and 80s, put them up on YouTube, pick a game, and you'd be amazed at the space on the terraces or in Mm. the seating areas. 
But as mm. time has evolved, sponsors, sponsors and TV companies have become very demanding. They want full grows. They don't want space. Um, it's particularly. I remember Zimbabwe and Japan in '91 in Dublin, and, and people say it was a great crowd because they got 20,000 people in for it. But like I remember that that World Cup, and you, you, you'd have Samoa and Wales in, in front of maybe eight or 10,000 in one of the provincial grounds and things like that. The game has changed so much over 15 years that that, that like a competition will just lose all interest if if it doesn't look like it means something. Well, the sponsors put the pressure on um, initially, but then the TV companies don't like having to show empty terracing. Mm. Uh, and I've seen it, we've seen it uh, where people are moved. I've seen people moved in grounds where they just open areas because the TV cameras are pointing that way. And France in 2007 went out, they, 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 they made local areas responsible for different teams and they got huge numbers of people in. England in 2015, even more so. New Zealand in 2011 did a very good job on that as well. So they, what's more complicated about this World Cup bit from France is the stadiums are huge. The South Africans have the same approach, these massive 40,000, 50,000 capacity stadiums. I don't think there was any chance of them being filled in South Africa. Um, the Lions had major problems there in 2009. The test matches were full, the midweek games were not full, and the, the, the attendances in South African rugby have dwindled subsequently. The Blue Hawks played a semi-final in Super Rugby about three years ago, and they, they had only, there was about 20,000 empty seats still in a 50,000 stadium, you know, so even when they get that far into a competition, they can't fill the stadium. Yeah, and, and that's a challenge for all sporting organisations. Hmm. Uh, I, I think the size of stadiums that were available here would have been, and, and the newness of it, would have been, uh, um, uh, in my view, should have been a major attraction. France will have to work very hard to get the big stadiums that they're planning to use filled. Alan, even if but, they do, right? Yeah. Ireland still had something that was going to be different, didn't they? They did, they did. But just going back to the, to, to the French one, like the game on Tuesday night between um, New Zealand and France was full in Lyon. Um, and that's a fifty thousand odd seater stadium. They they can do it. It is it is possible to do, and and people will make holidays of it. And I think France is probably easier for all the other European countries to do it. And the French also brought the top fourteen final to Barcelona and filled the new camp ninety eight thousand people. So I think they have the capability of filling filling quite a lot of stadiums. I don't know if they'll fill them for the smaller teams. That'll be the the challenge for them. But I think they, there's a real chance that they'll do it. And and the French seem to have, have um, taken rugby to their hearts because, you know, nine times out of ten when you're watching French rugby, the stadiums are at least half, if not three quarters full for their top 14 mm. stuff, which isn't exactly the most exciting rugby in the world. But from our point of view, yeah, Ireland would have taken it to its heart. It would have, you know, I was I was at a, an event a couple of years back where um, the event went around Europe and, and they'd been in Switzerland the week before and they said the Swiss thing ran like clockwork as you would expect but there was no joy in the event came to Ireland and stuff didn't quite go to plan but sure it didn't matter and it still worked and everyone involved really had a good time and everything worked the way in the end it all worked out the way they wanted it to work but it was it wasn't run as well as the Swiss one but the result was the same if not better so like this idea that you want to have everything right and perfect means that you lose a lot of you lose a lot of uh, um, friendliness and I think 
generally William the reaction Ireland is just real disappointment there was a lot of excitement within the sporting community and I, I know within the GA community because I, I worked in that during the summer and you know I, I know there was a real feeling that this was a very likely thing to happen I suppose they were looking at the bookmakers who had Ireland as favourites anyway and there was a lot of thought process around GA planning over the next decade and two decades that included the Rugby World Cup places like Caseman Park Mikhail Park and Killarney or wherever else and little upgrades that they might be planning to do to those venues and the bigger upgrades that went into somewhere like Porky Creed. You know, this is a bit of a shell shock to the system and maybe won't get, you know, won't get the airtime, but there's a, there's a lot of plans on a lot of shelves um, that have included a line or two in there about when they get the Rugby World Cup that'll bring in X amount of money. Quite the blow to sport in Ireland is, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think it is, and I think if you take it on to a worldwide stage, uh, it's also a blow to other countries looking to host the next Rugby World Cup. It'll be absolutely intriguing to see where it go, where it goes next, or who actually is prepared to bid. Um, I agree with Alan. I, I think it would have been a very different World Cup here. I don't think it would have been perhaps the World Cup that the box tickers from the technical group would have wanted. As some of the stuff is still fascinating. Um, it was almost as if they wanted the World Cup to say, right, you've been awarded the World Cup and you're, it starts in February. I mean, there was a six-year opportunity. Some of the stuff was the, the Wi-Fi wasn't good enough in some of the grounds in Ireland. That's not going to take long to fix. Mm. Um, the World Cup that's going to Japan in 2019 there's a lot of issues ticking away in the background there there's mm. been a situation where World Rugby have issued a public I wouldn't quite call it a rebuke but they've they've marked the Japanese Rugby Union's card and mm. said you're behind schedule on stuff now this is something that in two years time that World Cup will be finished and when you're being pulled up in public about this mm. that's a suggestion that things are going maybe worse than they would like you to believe normally this is all done behind closed doors um this so is that, getting at the point this is getting from your perspective at the point that they're by reporting on work up sorry by writing something like this and setting out the parameters like they're setting out they're narrowing it down to just three or four rugby countries that could actually possibly host a World Cup. Yeah, can I jump in on that? Because, yeah, the, the Kiwis did a, there was a report on stuff.co.nz last week, which basically said, or the week before, said that's the end of New Zealand hosting a World Cup because they took those parameters and said that was it. And I'm just, just seeing here that Philip Brown is now saying under the current parameters they won't bid again. Well, take that. Well, I... I, th I think the interesting thing about that is I suspect the parameters might have to be changed <laughs> because I think I think they they parked themselves in a really awkward place here. Mm. Let's just look at the Olympics for a second. The next two Rugby World Cups are going to take place. Uh, 2019 in Japan is immediately followed by the Olympics in Tokyo in 2020. Mm. 2023 in France is followed by the Olympics in 2024. Now that does cause issues on sponsorship and setup and focus particularly for national government it would appear in japan from what i've seen they aren't particularly keen on either the rugby world cup at governmental level and they certainly have issues about the olympics but they have to get on with it now because they've been awarded them um 
where it gets interesting is if you look at the way Paris got the 2024 Olympics, 2028 is going to Los Angeles. There was only two bidders for 2024 and 2028. So they had to just give one to Paris and one to Los Angeles. Now that is a place where sporting organizations don't want to go because mm. if you don't have a bid, then you basically have to take whatever profit level is given to you if you want your event to take place. I'm fascinated where World Rugby go for 2027, 2031. Mm. Who bids? Who actually sits down now and says we're going to bid? New Zealand are probably out of it. Uh, Australia's been touted quite heavily for 2027. I'm not so sure about that. If you look at the way rugby union is going in Australia, maybe they will. Maybe they maybe they might turn around and say, well, we're actually concentrating on trying to get the 2026 Soccer World Cup. So when, when you make hard and fast rules and you mm. start knocking off countries, Argentina, fine place to go for a World Cup, but their stadiums and infrastructure are pretty average. And they've got one professional rugby team. So this decision down the road could cause a lot of grief by by not it not going to south africa i think they've avoided uh real difficulties i think they've br probably breathed a sigh of relief in world rugby tonight in the short term and said right it's going to france everything's going to work um okay but when you start looking for future world cups and these are huge money spinners for the world game um I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that that's as, as obviously as strong a point as, as they might have been. You McKenna was writing in the Independent and rubbing rugby people up the wrong way, as he sometimes does. Uh, you know, and saying that Ireland should be relieved. I mean, even aside the fact that he didn't really entertain even briefly the notions of any possible positives to a rugby World Cup, um, which possibly made his article just seem a little bit completely unbalanced in that regard. He did make some really, really detailed points in there as well. There is a group of people in this country William, who would feel that A, rugby is a small enough sport. We're getting too big for its boots with this notion. And and B, this spend wouldn't have been worth it. Um, it wouldn't have got the legacy that people talk about. The debt would have been bigger than people, um, people maybe estimated within the government. Um... Well, then, if you're sort of coming at the thing, if you really take it at that level, then you don't bother doing anything. You just decide that you're 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 going to accept whatever is given to you. This is a very this is a small country. I appreciate New Zealand is a similar size, maybe a bit smaller population-wise. Rugby is a huge event in New Zealand, mm. but if if you're going to showcase yourself to the world and you want to be a tourist destination we, we we spend a lot of money trying to get people to come here uh, as tourists surely this was an opportunity to go out and showcase the world around the world uh rugby tends i have to be blunt to say it uh, it might bring higher spending fans than than other sporting events and it's the only one we can realistically have bid for i know there's european Championship Games here in 2020, which is a, an interesting idea. And after last night's disappointment, hopefully we're in Euro 2020 and we can uh, maybe get a game or two in Dublin if we're lucky at, at that. But I think you have to... I think it was a good pitch 
Uh, well, I can I jump so. in there though? You talk about tourism or showcasing like the the game or the country, but I I wonder about that because the game is so small, and and the figures they quote when they say the TV audiences always seem like such nonsense. You know, rugby is tiny. I mean, obviously it's it's bigger than certain things. It it, it certainly it certainly is a world event that is going to reach people in different spots. But when you think about the tourism we get from. Uh, Germany and Central Europe, which would have no interest in rugby, or from America, which would have no interest in rugby, there probably would be, you could argue, better ways to showcase Ireland uh, in that regard than a Rugby World Cup. And I wonder if we, if by focusing on that, we kind of give ammunition against it, whereas the real benefit would have come from within, from the feel-good factor, from the sense of self-worth and value that we would have got from it. I, I always felt the tourism at a point was just a little bit exaggerated. Um, yeah, perhaps it could be, um, but I, I go back to what I said. If you if you don't, it depends where you want to pitch your country, and it depends what you think you're capable of doing. Mm. Uh, and if you don't think you're, just just say fine. Well, we're not capable of doing that, and shrug your shoulders and walk away. Um, and I think they were right. That's why I think they were right to do the bid. The government's got behind it. I don't think that was done lightly, either the government in uh, Northern Ireland or the government here. Uh, they obviously looked at it. They felt it was doable. Uh, they made a what seems to have been a very good pitch. It's, I think, reading between the lines from most of the journalists that I've been reading today, now mostly this is in the UK, but even in France I've seen a little bit of stuff saying that it would have been very different to have it here. And it, yeah. as, as Alan says, it might have had to be put together a bit, but um, I think the World Cup in France, for example, in 2007 was a success. And I think the next one that's going to happen is a success, but it'll be quite a bland event. Yes, uh, I agree. And I Compared think to what, what, what you'd be talking about. Like Keith Duggan wrote really well, just to jump in there with you, and uh, Alan, just to bring you in for a second, Keith Duggan wrote very well in his piece about something that we all feel that yes of course pulling the car up on the curb on the way into Killarney is going to be a little bit unusual for the for the English rugby fan but the immense sense of enjoyment you would have had on a night after England played Tonga down there and the like for want of a better term the crack in the town that night and it's just something that we can create that very few other countries can create. And while it is a bit of a cliche to throw it at us to say Ireland's a great fun place to go, it's the fact that it is. And ultimately, the sport is being put on. We do our podcast because we entertain the people who get entertained by Connacht, who get entertained by traveling around the world. It's a break from the monotony of life. It gives you something else. And a, a big journey away. Myself and yourself went to New Zealand for the Lions Tour in 2005 that I think both of us would argue was one of the last times when the Lions Tour had the real sense of uh, being something that was just great fun and a real festival. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's what this World Cup would have been, and it would have been a way of recapturing some of that that's missing from it. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's a bit like, you know, you, you get, if you want to bring it down to a, a local level, what, going and watching Clinetti play in Stradley Park is a completely different experience to go and watch them playing in Parky Scarlets. Now, Parky Scarlets is a beautiful ground, and it's, it's, it's fantastically maintained, and, and the people in there are lovely, but there's also, I don't know, it, it's soulless to a point. 
that you know sometimes you need things this is why the the sports ground you know for me will <laughs> at some stage we'll have to upgrade it somewhere along the way but it's still ours and we make it ours and it's a great little place to go and watch a game and the atmosphere is brilliant and everybody's standing so that that adds to the atmosphere that you're standing around because there's a better atmosphere and that sort of thing so you you make the best of what you've got and i think we would have made the best of what we have to make a brilliant tournament um, and again, it com- you know it comes down to you know do you want something that's clinical and and looks well and is looks perfect or do you want something that's that's great fun? And it's not taken away from France too much. With it. we don't want to be too negative on it because I think we've been very positive on what France bring to our rugby. But it, it just it the contrast is is really disappointing because we feel and obviously we're biased, but we feel Ireland was exactly what world rugby needed at this point. Well, I think a lot of people actually feel that. And I think we're, um, you know, England, we'll say England are playing Tonga and Killarney. That's, that's probably, that probably wouldn't have happened, but we, we'll say... Yeah, sorry, that would yeah, be more probably, like Viva, but yeah. Yeah, okay, but we'll, we'll just say they were. Um, no, I'll t- flip it around. Let's say Tonga were playing Canada. So, right, yeah. so people go from back home to Canada. They came to Ireland to watch Canada play rugby. They go into their, I don't know, they go in the bar, they meet their mates. Uh, how was your trip to Ireland? Well, they're, let's be honest, they're not going to start off by saying, well, the bus ride into Killarney was horrendous. We were 30 minutes <laughs> behind schedule. Yeah. Uh, and then we had to queue to get into the ground. And then, um, you know, there was a queue for the burgers or whatever. It is. You couldn't get coke. You had to get something like Club Orange. I don't even know what yeah. that is. <laughs> that, that's, that's all. Fans deal with that stuff. They don't come here for that. The problem is that the people that make these decisions go from their hotel to the ground in a bus. Um, most of them are male, white. They're in their blazers and ties. They have no concept what an ordinary fan does. Um, they put they music probably, on when there's a player injured during a match, so God forbid people would create their own atmosphere. Carry on. Yeah, so so that that that's what that's what you're dealing with, and that's I think maybe Ireland didn't take enough cognizance of that. Mm. Uh, but I think for the ordinary rugby fan who just wants to come to a World Cup and have a really good time, it would have worked very well here. They will also be able to go to France and have a really good time as well. They won't need to be uh, they don't need to be corporatized. But I think it was an opportunity, and I, I, I come back to my earlier point, I think it is going to put smaller nations off bidding. Uh, it's going to make it a bit of a, a monopoly. I mean, I can, see that, I can see England having a World Cup again very, very soon. They did a great job. They'll do a great job again. But you, can, you really think 2031, yeah, that'll be in England. Uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but... It's almost like they, they said, right, Japan is our one step into the unknown, and we're never doing that again. We're going to go back now to, to certainty. Mm. Uh, and I, but look, the decision's made. I'm not surprised France have won it. Um, I know the, the technical thing, but I, I just thought that that's not going to, people are going to look at that and pick holes in it, and they obviously did. Plus, you're talking about a tiny percentage in the differences. That's uh, that's the bit I couldn't understand about the technical thing. If we were twenty, or if Ireland were twenty percent behind, I would have mm. fully understood it. You're talking six percent. That's a tiny amount. And France were even less behind. So the whole thing was a bit of a, 
I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what they were trying to achieve with that. In all honesty, because Bill Bowman said this is a, you know, it's been a transparent, you know, process. But how can it be transparent when their voting is is um, behind closed doors? Where's the transparency? And, and lads, I just wonder. You, you put another twenty. You know, let's say you put, let's say money isn't an object. We struck oil off the coast of, or we struck gas off the coast of Mayo, and we decided to keep it for ourselves this time rather than giving some of that controversial um but let's say we, we suddenly have a, 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 a inject in cash into our our um, infrastructure to the level that you mckenna was talking about you you know we're building dual carriageways in Derry to cork and we're 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 getting cities moving better and better bus routes between galway and Killarney is another thing he mentioned let's say we get that perfect we're still a small country this is what mckenna missed and this is what the the, the boys in the report for the world rugby missed and maybe this is what the big people missed if we're going to be critical of them a little bit. Um, it's We probably should have just sold it as what it is, which is we're a very advanced country for who, for what we are. There really is no major, major problems in getting around it. And it's going to be amazing fun. And it's going to be more than memorable. It's going to be something very different. And maybe we just need to be proud of what that is, sell that for what it is. Because one, I'm left kind of scratching my head, and, and just to take your point, maybe you take this down, just to take your point up there, that... It wouldn't have made much of a difference if we had won that that bid by six percent. <laughs> you know, yeah. it still would have been a major leap for for the world rugby to go to. I think it would, and and as I say, the you know the one line it said on the first page of that report is that each you know they they're convinced that each country would have produced a successful and profitable World Cup, and I think the word profitable is the most important element of it well, there yeah. because rugby is yeah. rugby is trying to make sure it has enough money. There's an awful lot of money spent around the world on rugby trying to you know progress the game and make sure it develops all around the world so it's not just the six nations and it's not just the championship um or it's not just the you know the three major leagues in europe um or super rugby that there's rugby played absolutely everywhere in the world it's it's incredible how many places play rugby but they need money because it's it takes a lot of money to play rugby because of the okay, complexity well, of the game we're just we're just going to finish on this lad a uh, talk from each of you and maybe just finally uh I'll ask one more question about maybe perspective on what it might mean going forward for Connacht Rugby, the lack of a World Cup. But just very quickly on on Ireland not getting it, what do you think is what? Where's the next step now? What has this moved the argument on? To? I mean, William, you first. Like, well, where are we right now after this in, in World Rugby? What we seem to be talking about is the difference between the culture of rugby, standing on the turf, the atmosphere, the old days, the amateur era, maybe a little bit, but certainly, you know, the fans dominating over the money. And the need for the game to be profitable is, is that the is this is this where we are right now? And the old game just losing a battle to marketing and never going to win it. Um, probably, it's 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 you know it's a fully professional game at the highest level, and it's got to it's got to cover its cost and there's, there's expansions and as Alan said, you know it's played everywhere and that that that's part of the the driving force. I think um, there. I, I still think there will be repercussions on this. I think I'm not sure that Ireland. I, mean, I can't say they won't ever bid again, but I think it'll be a while before that will come up. I think they put such an effort in here. I have a suspicion that that technical report situation will have to be radically uh, changed. Maybe it needs more rugby people involved in it. Maybe it, it needs more discussion um but it really hasn't worked because in the end 
um, people, the, the people charged with the voting didn't believe the report. That's the only way you can look at it. Some of them did, but not enough of them. And mm. in World Rugby's ideal scenario, everybody would have voted for South Africa because you were supposed to back this technical bid or technical report. Um, I think it's difficult for rugby in Ireland. I think that there's always challenges for all sports. Um, but the best, the only way forward for them is to, to keep the international side at the forefront. Uh, there's a World Cup coming very soon. They made a, a start in there. I think their World Cup build-up actually started last weekend. I think that's where you, that's where it starts. It's a countdown process now, and they got to keep driving that forward. When you get the trickle-down effect to the provinces um, for Connacht they've got to keep trying to improve to keep trying to get better just keep setting higher and higher standards and maybe sometime in the future um, but it's a little hard to see tonight uh, where this will be but maybe they can go at it again with a different approach maybe World Rugby will realise at some stage that the approach they've, they've taken has backed them into a corner Alan. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, it's it's uh, it's disappointing. It's very hard to you know feel anything else but disappointment in in such a thing, and it's it's going to have everybody sit back and review where and what they want from Irish rugby. Um, I think the last disappointment at this level that I can remember in Irish rugby was was Lons in nineteen ninety nine, and and a hell of a lot of good things came out of that in the end. Um, and maybe that's where we're at now that it's it's a complete sit down and review of what we want and what we want to do with regard to Connacht rugby I think Connacht keep playing the type of rugby that they're playing um, is is the first and foremost um, playing great rugby um, that attracts people and attracts fans and then hopefully they can get something sorted from a stadium point of view to make it a little bit easier to for people who are want to watch on on wet, dirty, wet, windy, windy nights to to stay dry, um, right across the the stadium, not just in certain elements of it. Um, but the good thing, William, or sort of you first, Alan. The good thing is not too much of Connick's talk. You know, grassroots screen, sure, stadium development. I was I was always interested to see there wasn't too much mentions of the Rugby World Cup, even in a kind of a you know, and the World Cup could come here and that lift it more. They've always been keen to try and just say that this is a self-sustaining project, which is no harm, because a blow like this makes people think about the future finances of the IRFU, which will always then trickle down to, well, where are Connick going to get the money to do this, that or the other? But Connick seem to be trying to, you know, establish that footing on, on their own. Yeah, I suppose, like, if you look at it, uh, had the World Cup come here, it wasn't going to be played in the sports ground anyway. It was going to be played in a couple yeah, of GAA grounds. So, yeah, yeah so yeah. from that point of view, that that's fair enough. Um, you know, I think it'd be interesting to see how the GAA, the GAA do react to this and, and how disappointed they'll be um, with yeah. it as well. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting times coming up. But, um, yeah, we're still, we're still the Pro 14 kicking along we still have our European games kicking along so I'm going to look at the positive side and that's something that's you know the World Cup is the World Cup and that's what it is yeah William there's, there is another story there and what's happening behind the scenes within the GA community because we mentioned already you know developments like Porky Green there was a fair bit of rugby World Cup in mind in terms of how they built that stadium um, there's got to be things happening behind the scenes that would be fascinating there are conversations within the GA that we, we probably won't hear but um They've got to be very, very disappointed uh, at, at the administration level there, isn't 
Yeah, I think they will be. I think possibly, to be fair, I think Parky Cueve did need to be uh, or radically certainly improved. needed to be developed, but you just wonder, you wonder sometimes about about how they how they developed it to the level they have. But which is just only going to be good for the GA anyway. So well, I'm, I'm, and built well, that. Well, well, absolutely. Why shouldn't they aim to have the best facilities for their yeah, for their absolutely. for their players and their fans? And some stuff might have to be turned back, but. Uh, Look, they need to keep going uh, as an organisation and they need to try to provide the best uh, facilities that they can. I think going forward, it is crucial. Um, people are maybe a bit more demanding than we would be because we've been, I've been brought up. I mean, I remember the sports ground 40 plus years ago. And I can assure you, it is a far better facility now than it was then. And it's a far better facility now than it was maybe six, seven, eight years ago. But you can always look to improve. Mm. Um, I don't think any of the the provinces here were really relying on the World Cup uh, to the same extent probably as, as the IRFU as a national body were. Ulster have a fine stadium in Ravenhill. It's, it's the best place to go and watch uh, rugby in the country, in, in my view. Um, Thoman Park is a good facility. They, it's, it's perhaps it's slightly too big, but they've got to get on with that. Uh, Leinster probably have the most work to do, and they might be concerned now that the RDS upgrade won't be upgraded quite as far as it might have been in a World Cup situation. But they have to get on and do that. Um, I think it just, I think it will put pressure a little bit on the relationships within uh, Pro 14. I mean, that is a, run by the IRFU, the Welsh Rugby Union, Scottish Rugby Union, um, and allegedly the Italian Rugby Union, but I think they just do what they're told, um, the kind of view that I have. So there'll be stuff to be sorted out, but look, negotiations take place. People sit down in rooms and they sort things out. But I think Ireland will be smarting for a little while here. Uh, but eventually they just have to get back on the horse and get on with driving the game forward. It's, look, it's happened. They'll have to review it, learn from it, and maybe then say, we're going to have another go. Or maybe say, sorry, we can't see ourselves being in a position to host this. We've tried. It didn't work. Hey, can I jump in with a rant to finish? And I'll let you guys give your final thoughts and we'll leave it at that. But you've got me thinking there just about something to be proud of in Ireland because it's, it's a tough time with the soccer team losing and people people's heads will be down but like rightly so there's been a lot of credit you know a lot of slagging of this kind of nonsense about Ireland having the best so- soccer fans ever because they're outside of pubs singing and it's gone way too far and obviously the the online websites the banter websites have probably taken that to new new levels of nonsense but the, what's been missed in this is Irish people are great sporting fans and they always have been and they go to the big events and they have a great time at it and you know you can go from Munster versus the All Blacks and they write stories about it many many years later one of the great forgotten things from, from like is, is Munster Leinster in Crow Park in 2009 that was an amazing occasion and you talk about the GA and you talk about the different elements of you know Galway Ireland and, and the homecoming and, and, and the amazing celebrations that Galway Ireland had this year and what it means to the people 
uh, to see a Title One in, in GA circles and so on and so forth and, and Ulster and Munster go to Cardiff and, and onwards we can go for, for as long as we like but I just think that's not going to change I think it's the strongest thing we had in this bid I think Irish people are just brilliant sports fans um, and while we can be self-critical of fans leaving early in that soccer match yesterday and, and those other elements of the soccer no matter what the sport uh, ultimately at its core we're really good good people for following sport and enjoying sport for such a small island so I don't think people should lose confidence in what we are and what we're doing um, we've been talked down a little bit by that report and some other things and I, I think we should bite back in that regard and, and support our teams more than ever that's my rant over Alan final talk uh, I suppose it just means that the goalposts won't be painted anytime soon <laughs> Lads, I'm, I'm, I'm just it. saying it. Someone came on and said uh, we should, you know, send Alan up a ladder and do a podcast about him painting the post. I'm not against us breaking into the sports ground and doing this. Well, I say breaking in. I am against us breaking into the sports ground. We can't use that in the podcast. I'm not against us doing this ourselves. Though. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think they were waiting to host a World Cup game in uh, Pierce Stadium and face post and then move them. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, look, Rob, I, I tend to agree with you. I've watched sport all over the world. I've been very fortunate to do that. Um, it's supposed to be about fun. It mm. can be very frustrating and very annoying and very disappointing. And you can have great days and awful days. Um, but the the fun in this country at sport is generally the best. Um, I think it's interesting today that the RFU backed the Ireland bid and then gave their votes to France in the second round. I've said it many times before, I'm going to say it again. Uh, my favourite uh, rugby fans to meet with are the English, and I'm half Welsh, um, and I'm not as inclined to want to meet with them particularly at international things. I think we have to keep doing what we do. I don't think there's any reason to change. Uh, I think we need to keep selling our game the way there are certain... The IRFU have had a rough couple of weeks. Let's face it, they've had major issues on the women's side of the game, which they... I don't know, maybe they were all tied up with this bid process, um, but that was badly handled. And that, I, that had nothing to do with this uh, failure today. But it, did, it was a bad optic. Um, but they've just got to get going again. And they, the whole, uh, you've got to keep growing your sport. And I'll give you an interesting example of that. You talked there about that, that famous match in Croke Park, which was in April 2009 mm. between Munster and Leinster. That day I was at a cricket match in Clontarf. Ireland were playing Hampshire in a Benston Hedges Cup match. I don't think I've ever been as cold in my life at a cricket match. It was beyond freezing. Uh, and there was maybe, there was, there was a deep, look, we, we played the 2007 World Cup and there was a decent crowd there. There might have been a thousand people, which is, is good going in April. Um, Ireland will play test cricket next year. They, they, have, they have pushed and fought and worked hard to get where they are. That's what all sporting organisations have to do. So I think for both the GAA and the IRFU, once they've taken all this on board, got over the disappointment, you just have to dust yourself off and get stuck in again. And they also need to say to government, government, we're prepared 
to back this bid. Well, let's see some of this backing now for these organisations. Uh, and I'm not talking about building massive stadiums as if I'm talking about a grassroots level. Um, that's that's where they need to be focusing now and see how it goes from there. Brilliant. Good finish. Thanks, William. That's it. No worries. Cheers. Thanks, William.